recorded live. Good evening, ladies, and good evening, gentlemen. Welcome to the exceptional Scribble Show. Tonight is Tuesday. Of course, we come to you weekly on Tuesday nights. And this is Tuesday, October the 20th, 2015 is the year. And you're tuning in to the Exceptional Scribble Show and episode number 80. Yes, 8-0. Yes, indeed. We're in a new decade, the 80 decade, as for numbers. So I'm expecting tonight to be a grand night and for us to experience some interesting things that we could not experience prior in the 70s decade of numbers. So we're looking forward to some new beginnings, some uh, pleasant surprises. And for tonight, I'm just going to go through uh, reading and uh, informing everyone of what tonight's show has to offer. We have a specific topic for tonight. We will be discussing therapeutic writing. I repeat, therapeutic writing. Also, we have a focus word for tonight. Our focus word for tonight is, oh, we have a focus word phrase. I stand to be corrected. We have a focus word phrase for tonight. Our focus word phrase for tonight's show is poetic justice. I repeat, poetic justice. And for everyone who is on Facebook, some of you are aware, but Others are not. There is an Exceptional Scribble Show, episode number 80, events page on Facebook. Please take out the time and visit the events page on Facebook. Once you visit that page, you will find the following. You will see study guide reference links that are very helpful, especially when you are in need of some clarity pertaining to what the topic for tonight's show is, or maybe just a little more enlightenment as to the meaning of the focus word phrase, which is poetic justice. So you can find that information. It is accessible to you if you visit on Facebook the following link, www.facebook.com backwards slash events backwards slash and there's a long number one four eight four seven eight two eight five eight four nine three one zero four backslash and again to make it easier on you if you just go and do a search under the Exceptional Scribble Show, comma, episode, number sign, 80 for 80, it will direct you to the page, the events page, that is, which is featured on social media, on Facebook. I do encourage everyone to go there because there's a lot posted there, a lot of good resource information is posted there. And also you will find out more information about the feature artist who is in the spotlight for tonight's show. 
Let me share with you a little about who that person is. The special guest feature artist in the spotlight tonight is published author, Mr. Reginald Murray. I repeat, Reginald Murray. And he has a book which I am promoting to every listener, every hearer tonight. You need this book added to your at-home, in-house library. This book is entitled A Successful Formula. A Successful Formula is available in paperback online if you visit the following online bookstore, Amazon.com. And I am also glad to announce that if you would do a Google search under a successful formula, comma, author Reginald Murray, you will find that there are some other online bookstores where the book is being sold. You can purchase the book online under other online bookstores. So it's not just Amazon.com, but if you go to Amazon.com, you are sure to find the book there. And I did see uh, there was information about how many books are in stock, so don't delay. And listen, books make a grand or good or great stocking stuffer for those who celebrate the holidays. It doesn't matter whether Hanukkah, Kwanzaa, Christmas, this particular book, it is the perfect gift because a successful formula, and this is, this is the type of information that you should want to share with your loved ones, for those whom you hold close and dear to your heart. A successful formula, that's the information that we all should have and we all need if we expect to achieve our goals and whatever mission we have yet to fulfill in our lives, we need to know, well, what is the successful formula to do it? So I'm encouraging everyone to go online and purchase the book entitled A Successful Formula by published, published author Reginald Murray. Yes. R-E-G-I-N-A-L-D, capital M-U-R-R-A-Y. Okay, now, about the author, because I know some of you may not know this. You're probably wondering, well, where is he from? Now, this is some information that you will find on the Exceptional Scribble Show, comma, episode number sign 880. If you look online on Facebook at the on the Exceptional Scribble Show's events page for tonight's show, you will find this information which I'm about to share with you about the author. And this is what the author has stated. I reside in Philadelphia where I enjoy social activities like jogging, poetry, skiing, and the culinary arts. I write in my spare time to erase idleness. I hope to touch one's life 
in a positive way. So that's a brief description by the author about the author and the feature artist, of course, that is on the panel of the Exceptional Scribble Show tonight, and he's in the spotlight. You will be hearing from him very soon. And what I would like to say to everyone that's now tuned in to the Exceptional Scribble Show, and that is the following, bring your love and poetry. You heard me. You heard correct. Bring your love and poetry. Don't miss out tonight. We are here, and we're not going anywhere. We're going to be here for some time. Also, if you would like to follow the Exceptional Scribble Show by joining the the Exceptional Scribble Show fan page, all you have to do is visit the following link, www.facebook.com backslash the Scribble Show. I repeat, www.facebook.com backslash The Scribble Show. Yes, you can join the Exceptional Scribble Show fan pages. That's simple. Visit that link. Also, from 10 p.m. to 11 p.m. tonight, enjoy free publishing tips provided by Queen Zipporah Spellman. Yes, indeed, Queen Zipporah Thalman will be sharing with us all keys, very important tips, very important information as to things we ought to know about publishing to help us along the way. And for those of us who have already published a book or two books or several books, there's never... It's never too late to learn what you don't already know. There's some information that Queens of Port Thelman will be sharing tonight to help you along your journey as for promoting book sales. So don't miss it from 10 p.m. to 11 p.m. tonight. Enjoy free publishing tips provided by Queen Zipporah Port Thelman. Also, you can follow Exceptional Scribble on Twitter. Yes, we are live on Twitter, ladies and gentlemen. Don't miss out. Join us. Find out what you don't already know about the Exceptional Scribble Show. There's so much to learn, and we're yet evolving. We are not putting ourselves inside of a box because we know there's lots of information out there about publishing, and also there are various genres or styles of writing. And we celebrate writing in every form and style, from the haiku, yes, indeed, to the rhythm and prose or rap, uh, the classical, poetry, the novels. Yes, we do not discriminate. So join us. We're on the air now, live. It's 827, October 20th, 2015. The number to call is 724 724- Four 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 seven four four four. I repeat, seven two four 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 seven four four four. And the show's ID number is one three three one nine three. I repeat, one three three 
888-646-1193. Come and join us. Okay, now without any further ado, I am introducing to all, and yes, maybe I am also presenting to a few, but I am turning the spotlight onto the feature artist tonight. We are privileged tonight on the panel, The Exceptional Scribble Show. I, your host, Fran, the sage poet, I am so very privileged to reintroduce to many our feature artist for the 80th episode of The Exceptional Scribble Show, and he is now currently in the spotlight, Mr. Reginald Murray. Good evening, Mr. Murray. Well, good evening, friend. That was a grandiloquent uh, introduction. Wow, I couldn't have said that better myself. (laughs) (laughs) That was really, really beautiful. It was well said. Thank you. Thank you. And you are very welcome. It is always an honor to have a fellow literary artist uh, with us on the panel. And we are celebrating writing, of course, and we are celebrating uh, poetry as well. And we're celebrating uh, publishing, too, because publishing is a journey that varies from person to person or artist to artist. Um, It doesn't matter whether one chooses self-publishing or traditional publishing. The journey is still going to be unique from the individual perspective of the artist. So I would like for you to start there because you are a published author author, if you could start with just sharing with the listening audience, uh, whether you went the traditional route or the self-publishing route, and what things you did so that you could achieve accomplishing your goal and completion of having your book published. Yeah, with my first book, uh, Successful Dealing, I went the traditional um, route. Uh, It was... um, it was a major publishing company, and it was my first ever, so I wanted to break the ice right there. But uh, to make a long story short, over the course of time, I learned a lot. Um, I decided to try self-publishing, and self-publishing was like going back to a writer's workshop. Like you, they gave, or, or like Queens of Poor, giving a lot of tips on on the do's and don'ts of writing and also the market. Um, your product. And I like the self-publishing by the fact they tell you to build yourself a small platform to stand on and speak. That means uh, maybe uh, promote your book like in donut shops or flower shops or maybe uh, libraries, um, flyers, uh, maybe, you know, uh, gyms and all like that, uh, churches and any other civic organizations. Hmm. Very interesting. Build yourself a small platform mm-hmm. to start as for the promotion of your mm-hmm. book. Um, so, in other words, where did you start or what place was, marks the very first setting that you promoted your book? Uh, I had uh, some interviews with my church. Um, two years ago, mm-hmm. and I did very well. Um, I did very well with the church, um, and they told me from there 
um, they gave me tips. Uh, I started um, uh, with some other organizations, too. Um, I went to Barnes & Noble Bookstore on Temple University campus, and I had a couple of book signings there and also at uh, some small bookstores. Okay. All right. So the the key is making a move and not mm-hmm. being at a standstill. I think when you want to get your book read, when you want your book in the hands of people, you want them interested in buying your book, you've got to put it out there. You've got to be willing to um, take it to the streets. You've got to market it. Mm-hmm. Would you say and that's correct? Yes, that's correct. That is absolutely correct. And one of the publishing consultants told me, um, also tips from uh, these book managers, uh, you got to become a little aggressive, not overly aggressive, but if you want to get the public domain interested in your product, uh, like you say, take it to the streets, put it in newspapers, uh maybe advertise it in magazines and all like that and, and the likes. And also if you get a couple of radio interviews, it doesn't matter whether it's internet radio or mainstream radio. And it's it's like a on-the-job process I'm still learning. Hmm. Okay. Um, in terms of motivation, because I think it's so very important to stay motivated, especially if you don't have a lot of capital where you can buy a promoter mm-hmm. or you can hire a promoter or a team to mm-hmm. help you as for marketing, mm-hmm. mass media marketing. Um, if you don't have the finance, you've got to stay motivated. What would you say are keys, five keys, of how to stay motivated when you need to be so that you can market your book successfully as for book sales. Please share. I think mm-hmm, number one is you target your audience. What kind of audience uh, may be become interested in your book? And number two, write what you really like from your heart. Um, you know, you just don't want to write anything, but write what really turns you on and just so you can share with the public. And I think number three is, uh, like you say, how you uh, market yourself. You know, you got to have some confidence. It, uh, you got to believe in the public domain. And I think number four is also, too, sometimes maybe how the economy fluctuates. Uh, like that. And number five, I say uh, try the churches, uh, civic organizations, um, maybe fraternal organizations, you know, fraternities, sororities, um, try the colleges and all, because especially number five today is, uh, you know, we have a new generation of people. Mm -hmm. That is correct. That is correct. Um, We've got to utilize our resources. A lot of times people don't realize that one of the greatest resources for us to use when we are trying to promote our book 
is our family. Charity starts at home. If you don't make full use of your family, your kinfolk, those that you eat, sleep, play, war, fight, drink with, those that are closer than close to you, make mm-hmm. full use of them. Absolutely. Let them know. I'm trying to get this book sold, but I need some help. Could you do me a favor? Can you pass these? You can write. You can have some uh, post posties, uh, postcards made up Correct. that advertise your book. And and now with the computer, you can design them. Uh, with uh, you can just use a, a word, use a program to design them and add some creative uh, uh, marks watermarks and and things and logos or um, visuals to the the text, the words, the wording. And you can have an attractive ad and postcard that you can uh, print out, have copies made of, pass Mm -hmm. along, have your family help you to canvas the neighborhood. Mm-hmm. And also to canvas and target those areas where you know a lot of people are, and mm-hmm. those areas in particular where you find people are hands are idle, and they have to sit around when they're waiting for the bus, waiting for the train. Right. Those are ideal target spots to market your book for book sales. Absolutely, so, ladies and gentlemen. I hope you're writing information down as we are sharing it tonight because. We're trying to be helpful to you because if we help you, we help ourselves. Mm-hmm. And it's so very key, especially if you don't have a lot of capital, you don't have a budget you're working with, or you don't have but so much money in your budget to work with, then you need to know key things you can do that's practical, simple, practical, mm-hmm. and not extravagant or expensive. Mm-hmm. which will not cause you to spend what you don't have or, right. go in, or to go into debt, because that's not what we're encouraging you to do. A lot of people go for broke, you know, with their first book, and they believe, well, you know, you're only going to get out what you're willing to put in, so you got to invest, invest, invest. That is true, but invest not just what you don't have, per se. Invest what you do have. Invest your time. Invest right. your energy, spirit, energy. Amen. Amen. I say you're right on clock with that uh, mm-hmm. thought, Fran, because um, most successful authors at one time, they failed, you know what I'm saying? But they kept at it, the right. consistency, you know, and they didn't give up. And like they say, that old adage, it may be old, but it, it still works. The day failure is a stepping stone to success. And a friend of mine told me a long time ago, he pulled me aside. He liked me. He said, Reggie, sometimes to appreciate winning, you have to lose a few. And, I mean, it it makes sense what he says. That's right. To appreciate winning, to appreciate a victory, you have to have had experienced a loss, a failure, or a failed attempt at winning. You're not a failure just because you lost. You're a failure if you're not willing to try. 
That's what constitutes failure, not Mm -hmm. being willing to put forth the effort and try. Mm -hmm. You'll never know what you can or can do if you're not willing to try. And, And I think a lot of times we just give up too soon. We give up before we've even made an effort to initiate an action. And that's not a good thing. We've got to learn how to win. And winning means being willing to say, (coughs) even if I don't win in this right now, Mm -hmm. I'm willing to strive to achieve the goal. And whatever the outcome is, I'm willing to take Whatever that outcome is, count the cost, whether it's a loss or win, and learn from the experience. That's what we have to discipline ourselves to do. If we want to be winning, if we want to win, that's what we have to start doing if we're not already doing it. That's very well put. I mean, I like how you put it. You, it was very laconic, like you say. You, Thank you. You didn't fail. You know, you just maybe, uh, like you said, you failed at, at an attempt to win, but you you got to mm-hmm. get back in there. That's and my, it. And my mom used to say, okay, if that road doesn't work, try another avenue, because like they say, there's always more than one way to skin this particular cat. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> That's right, and there's always more than one road that leads to home. That's right. You know, sometimes you got to take right. the back road, the side streets. Mm-hmm. You know, sometimes the main streets is too crowded. Everybody's trying to get through, you know, using the main highway. So sometimes you got to take the byway, you know. That's <laughs> right. That's you know, right. sometimes mm-hmm. it can't be the way that, you most, that you're most familiar with. You got to be willing to try something new. And I think for a lot of us, we get fixated and stuck into a mold, and we're not willing to be open-minded where we would try something that we never did before. And a lot of times that's what's preventing us from succeeding. That's right. Mm -hmm. Amen. You spoke the gospel truth. (coughs) Excuse me. Like I was saying, uh, you know, the number one uh, major market in the world, New York. I mean, you, what? like you said, you have four different ways to go there. You could go by bus, by train, by car, or by plane. That's right. And uh, actually five ships. And you said ship. Yeah, I was going to say. Also, that's right. We can't forget the water. The ships, right. You know, a lot of people like the water, you know. Mm-hmm. Yes, indeed. Um, Our topic for tonight's show is therapeutic writing, and I would like for us to kind of uh, touch on uh, sharing some information on that topic right now. Because I know that some people are listening and they're saying, you know, I like to write, but when I write it makes me feel better. Well, there's something that's happening that's causing you to feel better when you write. And that means that writing is no longer just a hobby or something that you like doing. It's a healing for you. 
So if we can touch on <clears throat> uh, therapeutic writing, and I'm going to share some information uh, from an article, um, Reginald, and then I'm going to pass the mic over to you. Okay. And there's this article which is entitled The Power of Writing, Three Types of Therapeutic Writing, and it's by Margarita Tartofsky, and she has an MS as an associate editor. And I'm just hmm. going to share uh, a little about the three types of therapeutic writing. The first one is free write or free writing or journaling, and mm-hmm. this is what she has to say about that. It is simply writing what's on your mind. It's letting it all hang out without censoring yourself. According to Sullivan, this could be the following. Today I woke up and found the car window smashed, and I wondered if the glass replacement guys go out at night and do it. I texted that to Eli, who called me right away to say that sucks. I love him. It also could be, I hate everyone. Why the hell do I bother to get out of bed? Crap, 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 crap. What she's saying is free writing or journaling is simply writing what's on your mind and not censoring yourself. That's why it's called free writing, which is journaling. Some of Sullivan's clients worry that if they have thoughts they don't like or thoughts that scare them, they must be true, so they try not to think them. However, it's more helpful to acknowledge and accept our thoughts and feelings. Paradoxically, this often makes them shift into something new. So healing yourself can happen for you when you're willing to be honest and sincere and just write it out. Write what you're feeling. Write what's on your mind. Write it out. And the second uh, style or type of therapeutic writing is pen poetry. And this is what Sullivan shares about that. Poetry is a natural medicine. It is like homeopathic tincture. Tincture derived from the stuff of life itself, your experience. And she's saying, but it also can be intimidating. Here's an exercise from Fox's book to ease into writing poetry. Number one, make a list of images from your childhood. Pick the ones that have positive memories. Treat them like snapshots you might look through after many years. Recall the sensations you experienced, what you saw, smelled, heard, felt, and tasted. Absorb the images into your body. Feel as if you are reliving the remembered image. Describe your experience quickly. Two, write down the emotions associated with these images, such as wonder about flight or love and sadness for the hurt of a creature. Number three, write a poem using the details you've collected. Stay in touch with your senses. I'm going to repeat that one. Stay in touch with your senses as you focus on your image. Listen for the voice of the image and then express the feeling drawn from your primary image. Show the feeling in your poem instead of labeling it 
as happy or sad. Third, this is the third type of therapeutic writing, composition, composing a letter. Sullivan suggested writing a short letter to a loved one. Imagine this person has written to you and asked you, how are you doing? Really? Another exercise is to write to someone with whom you have unfinished business without sending it. The goal is for you to gain a clearer understanding of your own thoughts and feelings about the person. Excellent. So those are the three types of therapeutic writing. One is free writing or journaling. Two is pen poetry, which is called a natural medicine, like homeopathic tincture. And number three is composition of a letter or to compose a letter. So therapeutic writing is something we need to do not just one time a week, but we need to do it once, if not twice a day, because it is healing virtue that flows from within, and it's a way of us releasing all of the negative experiences. As you're writing, you are releasing all of those negative experiences instead of harboring them inside of you, which can become harmful to you physically, emotionally, and psychologically. You're releasing those experiences as you're writing, and you're literally freeing your mind. You are giving your mind a chance to breathe, a chance to stretch, a chance to reason about those things that you are sharing as you're journaling, and and giving yourself a chance to see yourself. That is the healing power of therapeutic writing. So that's as much as I'm going to share at this time. I'm going to pass the mic to uh, Reginald. And Reginald, what I would like for you to do, because your book, I believe, is therapeutic writing, the story, the book itself. If you can just share from your book, you can share a couple of excerpts and uh, share with everyone why why it was so significant for you to have those excerpts in that book. That will be wonderful because I want people to understand that not all writers are alike. And what you did with a successful formula is you wrote a book that is truly a book to heal others. So I'm going to pass the mic to you at this time. And thank you for sharing. Thank right. Uh, I want to, let's say, touch base. One of the chapters I wrote about was from um, uh, simple ideas come enormous products. Let's say you have a basic idea. And almost virtually every every other day, someone comes up with a new idea that can make the standard of living easier because quiet as it's kept, Chicago, not New York City, was the first ever uh, American city to invent the skyscraper. Mm. And the and New York, you know, saw that idea. It was a capital idea. And, well, you know, they went berserk on it. New York says, no, we're not going to put any restrictions. We're going to build buildings as tall as we could. 
And, you know, for a while it was back and forth, back and forth, Chicago, New York, who owns the tallest skyscraper. But the crux of my argument is when somebody comes up, there's always a super brain comes up with a brilliant idea. People cannot help but feel it. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. And someone else had a great theory. Um, I didn't notice. You cannot copyright an idea. I mm. said, wow. I read that somewhere. So in other words, if I have a brilliant idea, I cannot patent it? Well, I think what they meant you could, but... Or a um, concept can be patented, but right. not an idea? Mm-hmm. Interesting. Well, you remember uh, famous Amos who came out with those chocolate chip cookies? Yes. Did you know he actually stole that recipe from his grandmother? Okay. And I heard that. I, now, I heard my question a- would be, did he actually steal it or did he ask his grandmother for the recipe and she shared it? But in terms of the profit gains, he didn't share the profits with her or the royalties. No, he didn't. He probably asked, uh, uh, could he, uh, like you say, um, share, you know, the idea, because mm-hmm. it did turn into a billion-dollar profit. And also, too, um, I noticed this. Whenever um, I went into a department store years ago, shopping for some new sneakers, you know, and there was a couple there. Um, They had picked out a different brand, and I came up, and I picked out this particular brand that suited me, and the the guy, he was with his girlfriend, I presume, she complimented me on, on my sneakers, the style I picked out. What do you think he did? He put down that brand and purchased the brand I was going to buy. Hmm. That's it. Idea. And also sometimes, too, uh, Fran, like, you know, when I come home, on, uh, I, I notice this almost from 15, 16 times. This has happened to me uh, experience-wise. Um, I would go in the, um, you know, sometimes Friday's restaurant or these restaurants and order a certain plate of food. And other customers I didn't know just walk in, look at my plate, and write, what do you think they did the next thing they would order, the, the exact same thing. That I ordered. So right. You know, so the point you of- can. Would you say because considering situation, because not all circumstances or situations are the same. Um, being being that everyone's coming into a restaurant to eat, and when a person looks onto your plate and they have not ordered their meal just yet, you're your plate becomes a model. It's a physical model, per se. And so the same with maybe a hairstyle. I've experienced that myself with with ladies, um, a pair of shoes you wear. It becomes a physical model that naturally will generate and attract attention. So when someone sees that physical model, if it's something that is appealing to them, it's just, human nature to suggest, well, hmm, if it looks good on her, it may look good on me. As for hair, as for shoes, now as for food, hmm, if 
that plate of food or that particular cuisine or dish um, is, is tasty to them, it, it more than likely is going to be tasty for me. I think I'll have what they're having. So it, it, it's like a suggestion, the power of suggestion, mm-hmm. which has everything to do with things that we see. And I've heard it like lust of the eye. Usually if you see it, you'll want it. Or you'll begin to fathom what you would look like doing it or mm-hmm. what you would look like wearing it or how you would look riding or driving it. And commercials, mm-hmm. I think, play on that all the time, the power of suggestion. Present, you know, present, it's that presentation. When it's shown to us, that's when the interest occurs. We don't have interest in things we don't see. We don't have interest in things that aren't presented to us. It's only when things are shown to us, presented to us, modeled before for us, that's when we become interested in them. Like the same with a book. If you write a book and no one never ever hears of it, um, no one ever sees it. No one ever reads it. It's not read to them. It's not shown to them. It's not given to them. Where is that book going to? What is that book going to do but collect us? That's right. So That's it's, right. it's that same principle. That's all I'm saying. Mm-hmm. And you know what? Speaking of books, um, uh, Fran, like I've known, it's it's not the the prologue or the epilogue that makes the book is what's between the, what the integrity or theme. I hope I said the right word because there are a lot of, I used to go in Fran as a motivation. In fact, I want to definitely pass this on to young aspiring writers. And like someone else told me, like the professionals say, go through bookstore, browse through books, and, you know, whatever your genre is, you know, read like all of them, you know, science fiction science fantasy as well as fiction or nonfiction because there are a lot of beautiful books sitting on the bookshelf, but they're just abiding their time. They're idle, mm-hmm. you know. They haven't um, – it's beautiful on the outside, but uh, what's on the inside? You know what I'm saying? That's true. Um, you can't judge a book by its cover. No, you can't. Uh, validates the, the statements that you just made. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Absolutely. And you asked me, okay, I touched on the idea, attitudinal uh, adjustments, like, you know, Mm. a lot of people wake up in the morning, uh, you know, some have a roseate attitude and others have a rather sullen attitude. And, you know, the sullen's not healthy for you because, uh, look at it this way, God woke you up. And not only did you wake you up, you got up. I mean, he let you live to see another day. And a lot of people go off to work uh, with the wrong attitude, uh, and and that's not healthy. That's not good for the uh, for the mind, the body, or or the spirit. You know, because like I said, you have a full day. Mm-hmm. You know, to, to like try to rectify your attitude. I mean, what happened? You didn't get it. Um, what you you didn't fix it yesterday. Yesterday's gone forever. You cannot have that day back. You won't get it back. So you. You you have a new day to get out there and try again. That's right. That's right. I want to say um, uh, to you, 
Reginald, because we had two callers. There was one guest, number four, they're going to come back to join the call, but they were really appreciative of all that you shared, um, especially pertaining to the contents of your book. And Mm -hmm. we had a caller from East North Carolina that called, couldn't stay on at that particular time. They called, but they were on long enough to hear you touch on uh, a successful formula and uh, some details about the book. Now, if you could just share a little more in depth about um, some other, uh, maybe some examples that you provide in your book and, and how it's so very uh, important that we know certain things are keys to success. If you can touch on that right now, and thank you. Sure. Also about criticism, and I like to use some of the celebrities of the past. Like, uh, did you know that there were there's a triangle of there's a trilogy of three men: um, W. E. B. Du Bois, uh, Booker T. Washington, and also, <coughs> excuse me, Marcus. Garvey and you know during that time frame for um they were they gave their food for thoughts on human rights um Booker T Washington and W.E.B. Du Bois were friendly rivals they had their moments and you know Du Bois uh, criticized him at the 1895 Atlanta Exposition but um you know Booker T Washington did send him a formal apology but on the other hand with um um not I'm so I'm sorry, not Booker T. Washington, um W. E. B. Du Bois sent Booker T. Washington a letter, you know, formal apology. And Marcus Mosaic Garvey and W. E. B. Du Bois were really bitter rivals, like well, you know, like sports rivals, you know what I'm saying? Mhm. And in some areas they said I was learned it got personal during that time frame and my point, in my, even in my first book, correctly criticizing. See, you cannot always. A lot of people in the past had that mentality. If I'm direct and honest with you, uh, you get my point across. But you cannot do that because you never know on the spur of the moment how someone is feeling, what they go through. It's it's, it's how you get it over, how you get around it without arousing offense or resentment. Right. Because I would not want nobody to do that to me. <laughs> And and to confirm what you're saying, um, I am one that I, too, am a firm believer that one's delivery will determine how the audience or how the recipient will receive them mm-hmm. or their message. That's right. It's the delivery. It's the delivery. It matters. The delivery matters. And I listened to Al Sharpton, too. Also, he hit a fun <laughs> great theory, and I'm going to pass this on, timing. And I said, wow. Mm. I never thought of it that way. Al Sharpton, the Reverend Al Sharpton said timing is essential, and it is. That's true. How you, how you deliver your criticism, maybe it was on time or maybe it was a little bit off base, but that's something you have to work on. And yes. I'm very, you know, I'm very, very um, delicate with my words because it's a rough, it's a rough life out here, and a lot of people come from rough backgrounds. Mm-hmm. And like you said, you want to be careful not to, you know, crush someone's feelings. I mean, I wouldn't want that to happen to me. And you never know what someone's going through on the spur of the moment. That's because true. And I'm thinking, like your book, being that the theme 
is success. A mm-hmm. successful formula is all about success and how to achieve success. And I'm thinking that for all, it doesn't matter what your age is, but for everyone in terms of being knowledgeable of what keys they should possess, what things will merit success, I think that is so very important because we're in a day and in a time where a lot of people are becoming so self-absorbed they and are. so self, um, self, selfish, where they tend to forget that it's not your success is not based upon you and you alone or you only. It has everything to do with you having a strong and good support system. So Absolutely. if you're disconnected or disconnecting from people or disconnected from your supports in life or your support systems, you are doomed to fail. Mm -hmm. A lot of people have this mindset where they think, I don't need nobody. All I need is me. You know, I'm self-sufficient, self-reliant, I'm Mm self-confident, and they forget the fact that everyone is, is who they are today because someone took out the time to instruct them. That's right. Uh, someone took out the time to mentor them. Someone took out the time to invest either love, energy, time, money, or something into them mm-hmm. uh, to help them to evolve into mm-hmm. a better person, a well-rounded person, or mm-hmm. to advance and take whatever their craft is or their skill or trade to the next level. And mm-hmm. it's like, you know, we're not an island. No one is an island. And we can't forget that. We need each other. And the last I want to touch on was is the very first chapter to give it your all. Let's say, like, you want to go into law, for example, and that is um, law can be a rough customer to tackle. I mean, you mm-hmm. you study almost a half a year, and it's like preparing to run a, a real smooth marathon. You study six months in advance, and you take the the law the bar exam. And you don't pass. I know you're going to be physically and mentally drained because it's it's mm-hmm. kind of a letdown. But I say give yourself a little break. You know, take like a two-month break from it and rethink this through. Maybe, like I said, you study. Maybe it's like, like you said, failure is a stepping stone to success. You know, maybe like you say, you try it another way, and this time it would click. But don't give up. Right. Right. I like that. Good example. Good analogy. Mm-hmm. Same thing with an, an accountant. Um, you know, the uh, accounting analogy, um, you got to take the, the CPA is, is crucial. You know what I mean? They really mm-hmm. want you to know every aspect of those books. That's right. <laughs> and even for nursing and the medical profession, prof- profession to become a doctor, you know, there's exams, there's board Uh, exams you have to pass. To be a teacher, you have to get certification. If you want to be a certified teacher and be paid top or full salary, high Mm -hmm. salary, Um, you just can't half step in life at anything. Um, Even the most trivial tasks um, that are so practical, there are specific things that you have to master. Mm-hmm. to achieve success in doing them. I mean, you can't second-rate yourself and not ex- and, and, and then expect 
to have first-rate success. It, it doesn't work like that. No. You've got That's to put right. the time in. You've got to practice, practice, practice. There is never going to be perfection if you're not willing to practice, practice, practice. Right, and you got to. That's the only way you're going to perfect your endeavors is to practice, practice, practice. And, you know, like you said, you learn from your mistakes. You, you learn from it, uh, you grow from it, and you move on. That's it. And you ask a lot of questions. Never think that what you know is enough. Always mm-hmm. keep the mind of a student. Mm-hmm. Ask questions. Mm-hmm. You'll go further in life. The moment you close your mind and say, I've got it, I've got it, this is it, this is it for me, you have limited your success. You have said, this is as far as I'm willing to grow. Mm. Never do that. Everyone learns something new every day whether they acknowledge it or not. That's right. They say you learn something new every day. Every day. You wake up. Every day. And every they say, day there's a new challenge you meet. Every day there's a new lesson to be learned. Mm-hmm. So that means you're as long as you're still learning and willing to learn, you're growing in knowledge. Yes, and you, you are. will advance further than where you are now. Very. And you like you say, tomorrow is not promised to us, so you want to see how far you can go before uh like you said, you don't know what the un- what the future. The future is uncertain. You don't know what it's gonna bring. That's it. We we don't know. We can't predict it. We can only assume. And mm-hmm. if we do make predictions, we have to keep in mind this is what I think. Mm-hmm. But this is not never fact until it happens. Absolutely, friend. Before I leave, could I recite this poem I uh, called "If I Knew Then What I Know Now"? Is that yes, okay? Yes, please. Okay. Thank you so much. Welcome. It goes like right. It goes like this. I was but a baffled, disillusioned soul who didn't know what path to take. I was given a choice or chance, but an ultimatum. I was at war with my will, fate, my antidote. Not to be subjective, but objective. Not to be ostensible, but a realist. That elusiveness in my agitated state of mind. Not my eyesight slipped away. People want what they have, I reason. I contradict that theory. Writing my producer poetry, my co-producer. If you don't know where you're going, you'll wind up somewhere else, so they say. I didn't leave my desire on the mantelpiece or on the piano. I didn't want to fall for any job. Any, did I say? I use that adjective loosely. I refused to be their stamp commodity. That didn't sit well with me. Time was my antagonist, not my ally. Time waits for no one. Time when I bend its rules for me. I was given 24 hours to excellence. The 25th was nil because there was no 25th hour. You can't miss what you never had. But they didn't know me or know of me. You have to know one before forming an opinion. How can they form their biased opinions without knowing one or weighing in all the facts? Please, let's not rush to judgment. And I begin the second part of my journey. Experience is your best teacher. If I knew then, what I know now. Wow. 
Wow. I I so like that piece. Mm-hmm. Very right. compelling, very compelling. And it tells the whole truth. It sums it. Yes, up. it does. Yes, it does. You know, we often made a lot of mistakes early on in life because they were honest mistakes. We just didn't know. And for some, they didn't have anyone to reference. Mm -hmm. For others, they really didn't have maybe proper guidance or adult supervision. And then for some, it was just honest mistakes. You know, you live and you learn. Mm. And you know what, friend, on the job, a fellow, one of my fellow workers, we were talking, and he offered, like, food for thought. I said, wow, this is a new saying. He said, don't be a square box. Become a full circle. I, I believe, mm. deciphering that, he said, like, don't box yourself in. Don't limit yourself because you have a lot of talent and credentials out here. Like, you could take to the limits. And and what he meant by being a full circle is become a well-rounded person. <laughs> I said, wow, mm-hmm. that's amazing. So I pass that advice to anybody out there listening. Don't be a square box. Become a full circle. That's right. I mean, take the case of George Washington Carver, Jr. He actually invented, with his mind, 325 ways what to do with a single peanut. Mm. George Washington Carver, Jr., medicine, shampoo, dye, uh, red egg. I mean, besides food, I said, wow. 325 different ways. I didn't know that. It was not in the history books when we were in grammar school. Exactly. um, You know, and it's like, it's so much that we have to dig and be willing to seek to find. Um, It's not going to be handed to us. No. No, So I tell anyone, um, think like a coal miner would think. Mm-hmm. Go deep. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Go deep. <laughs> Go deep. And you know, out here we need, like you said, therapeutic writing. We, you know, you need to motivate somebody to, like a football coach, um, a wide receiver is in his last year. Um, he really wants to play football, and the college coach is there to help him expand on the, on the talent so that when NFL uh, draft day come around, the scouts will take a long, hard look at him or maybe – some professional football team and invite him to his tryout. And yeah. that's that's what I look at as, as being motivated. You know what I'm saying? I I agree with you. You know, always put your best foot forward. You never – I can remember my grandmother saying, um, always look your best, always do your best, because you don't know who's watching. No, you don't. That very day where you tend to think, oh, well, no, it's not like, Nobody's really nobody important is really going to be watching me. That could be the day when that important person is watching you. Mm-hmm. Think that about could be it. The very Just day. think about it. Think and about another it. another friend told me what my poetry. He said, "Reggie, it's just like going for a job interview. A poetry is like throwing a plate of spaghetti to the wall. Some of it is going to stick." And someone is not going to stick. And I've I've experienced that. And the one that sticks to the wall, you put the emphasis on that. 
That's right. Because I'm 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 a stickler and firm believer that someone's always watching us. The mm-hmm. the moments when we think nobody's watching, those are the times we may be most watched and observed. Mhm. And just that alone should be enough to convince us to do our best. That's Always right. get caught at your best. That's right. That's right. Because anything less than your best is 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 not worthy to be mentioned. Right. Don't give it your second best. Always give it your best. That's right. <laughs> That, because if if that was your last chance, think of it like that. This this opportunity, this moment right now, is your final chance to express what's in your heart and what's in your mind and what's in your soul. That's right. When you think of it in that regard, I think for writers, you'll write your very best novels, poems, journals, <laughs> when you have that mindset or that sense of urgency that this might be my last chance to do this, when you embrace the moment in that regard, you can only create a masterpiece. That's right. Nothing less than that. Mm-hmm. So that's what I challenge everyone listening right now to do. Mm -hmm. Before you write anything, before you proofread, before Mm -hmm. you edit, before you go on that stage and perform your spoken word artistry, embrace that moment like as if it's your last chance to do it right. That's right. And embrace it like, this is your last time doing it, and whatever way it comes out or goes forth, that's the way it's going to be remembered forever. Mm-hmm. When you embrace that moment like that, you can't fail. And you're going to give it your all. You're going to give it your best shot. And everybody's going to remember that you came and you nailed it. And you left a mark. That's called legendary status. I challenge yes, everyone, whatever you do, by all means, embrace that moment and say within your soul, I am going to achieve legendary status. And you can't fail. No, you can't. Wow, I speak the gospel truth. <laughs> that is so true, Fran. Yes, indeed. You gotta, you gotta take it by force. You gotta say, "I, I don't just want it; I am it." Mm-hmm. Success is not something that I'm striving for. Success is who I am. When you start living and thinking like that, mm-hmm. you can't fail. And Norman Vincent Phil said years ago, "A man is what he thinks about all day." A man is what he thinks he is. I said, that stuck to me. Oh, my. That's so very true. 
it will revolutionize you and your mind and mm-hmm. and change and transform you into a better you. Yes, it will. And you got to stay positive at all times to stay focused because this is a negative world out here and it's full of negative people. And look like to me That's they're trying true. to take over society, but no, like the good just won't sit back and let that happen, you know. That's right. And you got to stop making excuses. Absolutely. That's what separates the masters from the peons. Mm-hmm. Masters do what they love, and they don't make an apology for doing it. No. Peons are constantly making excuses. Oh, I'm sorry. Did I offend you? Is that wrong? You're not sure of yourself. Masters are confident. They know when they take that pen in their hand or when they take that paintbrush in their hand or when they take that clay in their hand, they already know before it's done. They already know it's going to be done and it's going to be fabulous because they wouldn't even waste their time otherwise. Mm. You've got to be a master in your mindset. If you expect to excel and be excellent and be a legend, where people will remember you long after you're gone, your works will carry on. You've got mm-hmm. to say, I am whatever it is that you're trying to do or become. You've got to start internalizing it and being it from within. That's right. And it starts with the mind. It really does. Mm. Yes, it does. And if you can share, like maybe there's a, a, a favorite excerpt in your book, Reginald, if you can share that that excerpt with everyone and then give a little background as to why it's it's most favored to you. Um, I would say, on a, I think on an idea, uh, for instance, uh, you, know, you know, never, I would never, like, idea, say someone uh, is weird or odd because, you don't know what that idea is going to lead to tomorrow. Mm. Wow. You never know. That's right. That's so very true. So very true. Mm. And what and what um, inspired that thought? What inspired you to come? Well, a lot of these ideas are like billion-dollar profits. You know, the United States is a capitalistic enterprise, and even in the past, slaves, uh, we didn't have much formal schooling or education, but look at the ideas as their survival kit for just for them to survive. I said, that's amazing. Mm-hmm. That's amazing, like George Washington Carver, Jr., or uh, some of the other ideas, um, Sarah B., what's her name, um, with the hair products back in the 20s? Ida B. Wells? Yeah, Ida B. Wells, you know, for um, African-American women. Or Frederick, I think McKinley Jones, the refrigeration uh, process, you know, product and all like that to keep frozen meat uh, from going stale. Mm-hmm. And I'm wrong with Ida B. Wells. She was the uh, journalist, newspaper editor. Yes. Uh, sociologist. 
Yes, mm-hmm. that's her. Civil rights movement. She was the early, an early leader mm-hmm. in the civil rights movement. Right. Well, Fran, it was nice talking to you. I better get off this number, but we are definitely going to do this again. We will definitely touch base. Wonderful. Yes, indeed. Um, Madam C.J. Walker, I wanted to make that correction. That's it, Madam C.J. Walker. (laughs) The beauty and hair products for black women. And she's known, I believe, to be the first black millionaire. Yes, she was. How about that? Woman millionaire, that's it. Yes, millionaires. Mm-hmm. Millionaires, that's right, in America. Right. Amazing. There's so much about our heritage that it's just not broadcasted as widely or published as largely as it needs to be. Mm-hmm. Or even heralded, I would say, even within our own community. That's right. As frequent as it should be. Um, February should not be Black History Month. Every month should be Black History Month. Yeah, that's because what the that's black how very, you know, how right. very significant as for contributions mm-hmm. people of color have made uh, so great a mm-hmm. contribution to humanity and civilization and society at large that Black History Month should be all year long. It shouldn't be right. month. Right. They say, yeah, black history should be American history forever. America, I love that. That's right. American history and world yeah. <laughs> culture, <laughs> civilization. I mean, it, the impact is just that real. It's just that great. Yes, it is. You know, mm-hmm. um, and so many aspects of civilization. I mean, we can't be biased and just say in one specific aspect. Mm-hmm. People of color have contributed greatly in so many aspects mm-hmm. to civilization and the world as for right. culture and heritage, tradition mm-hmm. so much, custom so much. Um oh. yeah. So much, so much, so much. We could go on and on. <laughs> right, we could. I just want to say, uh ladies and gentlemen, you've got to purchase a successful formula by author Reginald Murray. The book is the truth. Okay, I'm telling you what I know. And don't just be selfish. Don't just purchase it for your own reading pleasure and for your own family or household. Purchase it for a friend, a neighbor, a loved one. Share the wealth because this knowledge this book is full of many pearls of wisdom and true accounts. It's a fact-based book. And if you want to achieve success in life, this book will help you on your path. Again, you can go online. You can purchase the book online if you go to Amazon.com. It is available there in paperback form. And um, Reginald, please share any other online bookstores that has the book for purchase uh, or carries the book for purchase, where it's yeah, in stock, I, or even you know brick brick bookstores that you know of. Right, iUniverse uh, dot com, my self publishing company. You can also purchase that 
and e-books. Uh, we did say Amazon.com. I believe Barnes and Nobles. Uh, dot com. I think there are the basic uh, three. Okay, and Barnes and Nobles, ladies and gentlemen, let's not forget Barnes and Nobles. You can also purchase the book there. And I'm acknowledging the caller um, in the call queue. We have a caller from Texas. Caller from Texas, welcome to episode 80 of the Exceptional Scribble Show. Uh, you have been privy or privileged to hear an exclusive interview with published author. Reginald Murray, he is the author of a book entitled A Successful Formula. Um, welcome, caller from Texas. Good evening, friend. How you doing? Good Hello. evening. Good evening. Uh, Ken, actually, I'm going to ask you, huh? I'm going to ask you, um, might you have a question for the published author before he has to leave uh, the panel tonight? Um, actually, I came in, like, on the tail end of, I guess he was reading a, a piece, he was, like, reciting area, and and the reason why, and it kind of caught my attention is because it reminded me of something that you have, like, challenged me, like, some time ago. Matter of fact, I said a year ago. Okay. And when I was listening, as I was listening to it, it I sat there and thought about, you know, when you say, you know, you got to come out of, I think, come out of the box. Mm, okay. And you come into full circle. Don't and be a that makes, square that box. That makes perfectly good sense. Full circle. Yes, yeah, that indeed. makes perfectly good sense right there. And you, ha- and you have to. And when you start talking about the history that our ancestors have, and there's a lot. And I didn't know that a lot of things that George Washington Carver have, have done. And it's it's amazing to hear that sort of thing that we don't too much hear about in our, in our history books and stuff like that. So I'm, right. I'm I'm glad to hear that, and you know it makes things more interesting for us to know about our our black culture, though. Instead of what we go based on what we have learned in school and our history books, it doesn't hurt to go into you know deeper detail to know more about this stuff that they may not share you know, among the social media and all this other stuff. And it's good to go into that and get to know more about, you know, our black history. And and he hits the hammer on the nail with the, uh, you know, just February being just Black History Month. And every month ought to be that because we have, we have brought so much to the table here in American history that, you know, one month alone doesn't even, you know, you know, you break the surface of what we as as blacks have accomplished here in this country. Matter of fact, I'll go beyond, I'll say in this, in this nation. We have established mm-hmm. so much that very little of our younger generation knows about it, though. And we have to really just bring that out more into the open so that our younger generation sees that we we have done so much more than what, they have shared, like, in, in history books or whatever they've been taught over the years, there's so much more that we have established, and we have to we have to bring more of that out so that our younger generation would know more about it instead of being like, okay, you know, February is Black History Month. Every month is, is a history month because we have, we have just brung so much out. And that's that's right. 
Excellent. Thank you so very much. It's important. It's important. We've got to spread the word. We've got to uh, get people excited. We've got to provoke their interest into wanting to study and to acquire knowledge, learn what the facts are. Because for so many of us, we were miseducated, and some of the heroes and heroines that we were taught were white Americans, we found out when we started doing research and study that they were truly people of color. They were. And, you know, that alone, to me, that motivates me to want to learn more and to want to know what is fact, to be able to separate fact from fiction, knowing that, yes. My teachers early on in elementary school, many of them taught me lies. <laughs> me too. Right? Me too. <laughs> you didn't know any better. Exactly. They whitewashed much of the um, uh, what was taught in, in, in the books, in the textbooks was whitewashed as for history and even American history as, as well as ancient history. So... We were learning half-truths, or you might as well say, if it's half-truth, it's a half-truth, it's a lie. <laughs> That's right. You know, such thing as half-truth, half-lie. That's right. Or a white lie, it's a lie. <laughs> you know? Yes. So, you know, we owe it to ourselves. We owe it to ourselves. We owe it to the next generation to learn the facts, to know what is truth, and to um, undo all of the damaged, um, as far as the miseducation, the damage which did occur in our lives. Mm-hmm. And it's never too late. I think sometimes people kind of say, well, um, we've been taught this, and this is what we always was taught, and they kind of settle for the lies. You know, they get comfortable and complacent in it and think, well, this is what I've always believed and this is what I was always taught. So, well, I'm I'm accepting it. It's always been like this as for what I read and so and so. You know, some people just get very complacent in lies. And they choose not to know the truth. That's right. And that's a scary thing. It's a scary thought. Especially when you know the knowledge now, you know, it's accessible to us, where before we weren't even allowed to read. You could be killed if you were caught literate, mm-hmm. as for people of color in America. That's right. Or if someone was teaching you to read, they could be killed. You know, it was like real, you know, so we have... This is the era, this is an age where knowledge is increased and it's encouraged. You can get, you can get as much as you're willing to acquire. That's right. And no one's standing there with a gun to your head saying you can't. It's all about now our minds. We've got to free our minds and we have to say, you know what? 
I can be it. I can do it. So let's do this. That's right. That's right. We're more free, I think, for many of us, we're more free than we accept to know. Mm. And we're allowing ourselves to be enslaved. If we're enslaved today, we have more rights and more laws in our favor today than ever in this land. Right. That's right. So, you know, to blame it on the white man, to blame it on the law, and, and you know, you got to look at yourself in the mirror. That's right. And say, well, right. what am I doing to capitalize on my own success? Am, am, am I advancing as for higher education? Am I um, disciplining myself? Am I... You know, am I doing things that are productive and proactive, or am I being negative, pessimistic, and doing everything to just um, prevent myself from achieving whatever my goals are? We've got to look at ourselves. That's right. You've got to right your own wrongs before you right somebody else's. That's it. That's it. I mean, I look at those old videos of the the 50s and the 60s and the 30s and the 40s, and I see what our forefathers and foremothers were up against in this land. I'm like, wow, we don't even have, to that extent, we don't have the adversity like they had it. No. We had so much more uh, liberty than they did. Um, You know, so many things have changed since then yet and still the struggle continues but it's not as severe as it was then that's right and i mean if they could still hold their heads up high and fight and protest and i mean dogs were were put on them water holes and they were being stoned and beat you know just because they wanted to vote when they were allowed to vote they still had to experience the abuse of discrimination and being victim to hate, hate crime. So we have come a long way, but we we still have a long way to go. Right. And we're getting there, and that's what's key. As long as we're moving... And not at a standstill, we're getting there. We're getting there. We're closer and closer, each with every step, Mm -hmm. with every movement. Um, uh, Farrakhan most recently marked the, uh, was it 20-year anniversary of the Million Man March? Yes, it was. And uh, I listened. I was able to hear the entire speech. In full, and I have to say, he brought out a lot of points that were facts, a lot of truths. He did boldly highlight, and it was made clear that, you know, the power is in the hands of the people now, and we've got to execute. 
You know, we can't just let the moment pass us by. We have a chance to rewrite history. We have a chance to say enough is enough. And we're seeing changes happening because people are saying enough is enough. And he said you can't love your life so much where you're not willing to lay it down for what you believe is right. And I thought of all of those leaders, all of those leaders such as Marcus Garvey, Malcolm X, um, Dr. Martin Luther King Jr., Mahatma Gandhi, so many, there's so many. And Frederick Douglass. Frederick Douglass, um, so many, and he went to the White House. Yes, he did. And in the courts and was not fearful to tell them, look, this is right or this is wrong. And no longer will we continue to turn our heads to injustice and say, you know, that, well, it's not my problem. It is. If it happens to one of us, it happens to all of us. That's right. I've heard a lot of experts say that. Yes, indeed. Mm-hmm. We've got it, you know, and some will will label you and say you're militant. You're being militant. Well, maybe it's time to be militant then. <laughs> yeah. There was a time in life we had to be militant to right? get our <laughs> That's right. If it's going to result in, in rights being defended and protected, well, hey, then I'll be that, whatever it takes. Yeah. Yeah, we've got to love justice and 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 be willing whatever we have to do for justice, be willing to do it because it's just now it's it's to that point. It's like, you know, too much blood has been shed already. I know a lot of people are saying, "Well, you know, sometimes you got to shed blood, but it's like too much blood has been shed already. Innocent lives." Mhm. You know? have fallen victims to Mm -hmm. hate crimes. Now it's time for people to band together and unite because they can't kill us all. One thing Ben Carson said is this, and he used the example of the incident that happened at the uh, community college recently with the shooting. He said, if all of them banded together and said, you can't kill all of us, less would have died. That would have been a massacre. He said less would have died because one bullet, he said a gun, you got to think like this. If everybody banded together and they formed like a circle, you can only shoot one at a time. The rest would have been able to apprehend them. So you got to open your mind and see that. A lot of times things happen because we panic and, and more lives could have been spared. And he also brought up the the um, the uh, fact of confiscation of weapons. And he said, if they confiscate the weapons of the people, he said, think about the Holocaust. They didn't have weapons, so they couldn't defend themselves. That made them more vulnerable. That's right. Yeah, once you take that right away from the people, and that's why the Constitution, I'm not a member of the NRA. Let me make that clear. I'm not. But I am a member of understanding what is just. And when it comes to having that right of life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness, being able to protect yourself and your family, 
That right should not be taken from any man. That's right. That right should not be taken, and the Constitution does confirm this. Right. And they they like to label people. Well, you're you sounding like the militia. Well, look, it's all about what's just. If you have to protect your family by all means, and it takes a gun to do it, then I'm for the guns in that regard. But no, mm. I am not for gun violence. I'm not right. for gun violence, and I'm gonna make that clear. I'm not for gun violence, but I am for guns being used. For protection purposes. Mm-hmm. Yes, I am. Not, not to prey on the innocent, but to keep the guilty at bay. That's it. To establish law and order because we must. Mm-hmm. Lest there be a lawless society where chaos rules. And right. that's what we're starting to see today, unfortunately. Yeah. Before I leave, Fran, I want to, this acronym. It was in my book. It's in the very last chapter. Uh push uh, the acronym push is not people united to serve humanity but it's called pray until something happens Mm. all right pray until something happens yes indeed prayer still works I'm a firm believer of that Right. We need divine intervention in our lives. And Mm -hmm. I believe when we have that connection with our source, Mm -hmm. that's when we have help in our lives and help which does not begin and end with a person. It's beyond someone else, physically speaking, being Mm -hmm. there with you, meaning there are some situations in life we have found ourselves in when we know angels must have been sent to aid us and assist us out of that trouble we were in. So I do believe, I believe, I have that faith. I believe in the unseen, and I know that the Almighty is real, and there is a source, there's a power which is divine, which is beyond that that power of of our own might. That's right. Yes, indeed. And we've got to be tapped into that source. If we're not in our lives, we're lacking. And that's when we usually seek sources, spiritual sources that may not always be positive. And we can end up in situations that we don't need to find ourselves in. That's right. Amen. So I definitely encourage everyone, always pray. Um, Make that your daily diet, Mm -hmm. something you do every day. Yes. At the beginning and at the ending and in between. Mm -hmm. You know, you have three watches a day. You have a morning, a noon, and a night. Mm-hmm. And that's the way I was taught. Daniel, um, in in the scriptures, he prayed three times a day. Actually, he prayed over, in, during each watch of the day, the morning, the noon, and the night. Mm-hmm. And we've got to live that way. If you expect to have a life that is spiritually enriched 
and mm-hmm. one where you can achieve success at its highest plateau. You've got to have a good or strong prayer life. Yes, you do. With this communion with your source, mm-hmm. your maker. Yeah. Well, friend, we got to do this again, and I will definitely be in touch with you. I mean, I had fun tonight, and we're definitely going to do this again. Yes, and Ken, is there anything you'd like to say to um, published author Reginald or maybe a question about publishing uh, before he leaves us tonight? Uh, I'm just just very appreciative for the information that he has shared on the uh, the show tonight, and it was a good thing I, I tuned in. At the last minute, just just to hear just to hear him hit that that mm-hmm. piece of knowledge right there that was much needed tonight. Wonderful, I agree with you, Ken. And again, Reginald Murray, it was truly indeed a pleasure and a high honor to have you on the panel, of the Exceptional Scribble Show, for the second time around. And as that song goes, the second time around is always better. Than the first. Than the first. And I enjoyed myself. I enjoyed listening to you, Ken, and you, Fran, because you were insightful and helpful, too. And I says, man, to me, you're a professional. You're out there. You know, you get your work out there because somebody's going to discover it, Fran. I says, you are truly, I mean, you're in a class by yourself. You're amazing. You're great. I like Thank how you, you put. Thank you. I like how you put words. I, I couldn't have said it better myself. <laughs> <laughs> I tell you, we you know, it's like iron sharpeneth iron. When you have the right chemistry, great mm-hmm. things are going to be the outcome of that. And that's why the show was great tonight and everything right. went in a in a very, very positive manner because mm-hmm. it was two positives. You know, your spirit was positive, my spirit was positive, your mind was positive, my mind was positive. And that's what it takes. You know, and when I you have that the next day I'm not working, I'm going right to the library, turn on internet radio, and I'm going to listen to you because I also <laughs> have you I also have you from my first interview back in May. I still have that on my flash drive. That's right. That's right. Uh, Excellent. So hey and I'm, and I'm going to pass the word around. I mean anybody else that I know, I'm gonna, you know, refer them to you. Please do. And thanks for the referrals that you have made. I will be in touch, and I will keep you posted as well okay. as to when those persons will come on the panel. And, of course, Reginald, this won't be the last time. I will be no. inviting you on the panel of the Exceptional Scribble Show again. Your okay. book has so much to offer. Matter of fact, we're going to keep promoting this book, um, even with different topics on the next uh, time go round, the third time. Sure. It will be a different topic, but mm-hmm. your book is going to be the focus. Because we need this book uh, read. We need it read in schools. We need it read within homes uh, during family time. We need it read by people just on their leisure uh, because it will help them refocus. It will help them as for their mind. Um, A lot of times there's so much clutter we have in our minds because of so many things we become mindful of. Mm -hmm. Um, This book actually serves as a filter to help you focus on what really is essential in life. Um, It's therapeutic writing all the way around, and and, and that's pretty much what it sums up to. 
And I'm definitely going to be promoting this book even more on this show as well as on the Exceptional Scribble Show fan page because we need people well. It's, it, it, there's just so many sick people in the world today. Yes, and I'm is. not talking about, like, cancer, AIDS, and all. Right, I'm I know talking about, saying. you know what I mean, sick, um, in the mind sick minds, mm-hmm. Too many, young and uh, old. Wild people, they get the wrong ideas out there. That's right. You know, hurting people, too, that just mm-hmm. need, like, the words um, mm-hmm. that a successful formula has, mm-hmm. you know, which which will soothe their ailing minds and souls and hearts and spirits. You know, mm-hmm. we got to get this book read. We got to get it out there because, right. to say, it may become a su- suggested reading in some colleges as for college courses. It mm-hmm. may become a required reading. You know, there's no limit. That's right. So, But we know that if we push it, if we talk about it, if we're out, you know, reading it and people see it, that's how it's going to get read. Yes, it You know, because when people see things, that's when you grab their interest. Mm-hmm. And when they hear about it, that's when you got them. It captivates them. Yeah. So we got to keep it, keep rehearsing it in their ears. The more, like what we're doing now, you know, the more you talk about it, then that's when they realize, oh my, you know what? I haven't read that book yet. Hey, I'm going to go on online and um, go on Amazon and look more it up. Copies of them. Right. I or I Universe. Right. I'm very, very flattered. I am very flattered. Any way I can help somebody. Like I said, touch one's uh, life in a positive way. I'm, I'll be very happy. Thank you. Thank you. And um, you did share your contact information, but I'm going to ask you to share it one more time for those that would like to connect with you off of the air. Um, if you have an email address, if you have yeah. a, um online web page or website or even um, a phone number, feel free to share that for our listening yeah. audience. Thank you. Um my website, my email address is rwm.4812 at gmail.com. And my number is 215-924-5303. And I'm in the process of uh, establishing my own website. Excellent. And as soon as I get that, I'll let you know. Oh, please do. Please do. As soon as you get that. <laughs> We're going to post that. We're going to have that on the Exceptional Scribble Show fan page, which is on Facebook. Yes, okay. indeed. And thank right. you. Thanks for thank that update you. as well. Okay, good night. Good night. Well, Ken, I must say, um, we had a fantastic time during that exclusive interview with public author, Reza Murray, and I want to thank you for your input. Thank you. Yes, indeed, because your input was wholesome. It was edification for the spirit. It was um, enlightenment for the mind and soul, and it was truth. And I don't care what people are saying out there. If they're not saying what is truth, it's just a whole lot of words, and they're saying nothing. So I want to thank you for sharing what is truth and confirming what was truth that was shared uh, by the published author, Mr. Reginald Murray. 
And I'm going to ask you, would you happen to have a poem that you would like to read? Oh, yes, yes. It's, I have a poem that I've actually, I think I've tagged you on it. i tagged, like, plenty of other, you know, fellow artists and poets out there that I've just, you know, shared recently because, you know, this is, you know, Domestic Violence Awareness Month as well as Breast Cancer Awareness Month. Yeah. And I'm, like, I'm I'm very emotional when it comes to, you know, domestic violence because that's something that I know I have seen and experienced firsthand, you know, especially as, as a mm. child growing mm. up. And, you know, that sort of thing have, you know, have hit this family of mine and a few others that I know. And you always hear, you know, stories about how women are battered and, you know, because of guys who have, you know, they're so insecure about themselves, about something that, you know, they don't understand about themselves, that, you know, they take their frustrations and stuff out on the woman. And also, it's vice versa as well, you know. Guys also, they go through abuse as well, you know, little do people know that. And I've actually have, I wanted to share that on uh, on our show. Matter of fact, I think I have shared that sort of information on, on our show, Nakia's show, and, but I never had a chance to really just do the poem because mm-hmm. we had to the day off on this past Sunday. And I, I was hoping to share that a little bit before our future guest left, but, you know, since he had to, you know, take care of some other things, I'm going to go ahead and I'm going to share the piece tonight and also, probably once I step away, I'll probably head over to Nakia's other show that she's doing tonight and share okay. the same poem. So the title of the poem that I'm about to share here on the exceptional scribble tonight is called Be Free. Thank you. Here we go. Be free. Free from the verbal abuse from the love that was never meant to be. Be free, free from the spiritual drainage of a lover or friend who wanted to sap you. Be free, free from the physical abuse from the one who is too weak to stand on their own and try to tear you down. Lift up your hands, my brother. God is watching us. Praise him openly. Be free. Mm. Don't allow someone who isn't on your level tear you down. We're strong like the mighty eagle, but also we're beautiful like a delicate flower in God's garden here on earth. We all don't dance like ballerinas. Don't get it twisted. But we all got a reason to praise God and be free. No man shall allow anyone to make him feel less of a man because the world wanted to destroy the very fabric of a man, and that's destroying the image that he was created from, the image of God. Domestic abuse among men is real. Don't think, ladies, that we don't go through this alone. We also know what it's like to be abused, and we also know that we can let the hurt go. Link with us with love. Raise your hands with raise your hands with us, and declare, we're free. In peace. Mm, awesome, awesome, awesome. Love is the foundation, ladies and gentlemen. Freedom starts and begins within the mind and soul of the individual. And the spirit is free when you know 
that you're free. And the mind has to know it. The soul has to receive it, and the spirit then can soar. So it starts within you and me. We've got to free ourselves first, just like we have to love ourselves first. Love is the foundation. When you love yourself, you can love everybody else. When you are free, you can help others become free. It starts within you. Thanks so much, Ken. I love that poem. Poet Ken. Uh, Thank you. I tell you, you're on the road. Can't nobody tell me you, you're not a poet. You're a poet and you know it. <laughs> yeah. Everybody, when I heard that last part on, on, on what your future guests have said, I thought of, I thought about every every time I thought about what you always told me. Every time. It's like that was a challenge that I just couldn't pass up. I couldn't pass that up at all. There were times I was like, I don't think I can do it. I don't think I call myself for it. I don't have that in me. But then I realized that I always had it in me. It was just needed that little, just that little push, that little motivation for someone who sees potential in me and just say, hey, you just got to tap into it. That's right. You don't know how far it's going to carry you. You You don't know who you're going to inspire because somebody read your work and they're inspired by that, and it'll make it'll give them the confidence that hey, if this person can do it, hey, so can I. That's right. We are helpers one of another. When one right. of us succeeds, we all succeed. Mm-hmm. Awesome job. Keep writing. Always. It's inspiring and encouraging. Well, I want to welcome Queen Zipporah Thelman. Welcome to the Exceptional Scribble Show tonight, Queen Zipporah. Thank you for your welcome, Queen Fran. How are you? I am fine. Thank you. And how are you today? I'm fine, too. Thanks for asking. And how are you, Ken? Oh, I'm great. Bless and highly favored. All right. Well, now I'm here. I might as well get started. Or did I miss the, uh, miss the feature guest? You uh, did. You missed him by maybe, I'd say, 10 minutes. Mm-hmm. He was on, though, for as long as he could. He was on for a good hour and maybe a half, if not 40 minutes. All right. That's all right, because the topic is therapeutic writing, so yeah. I don't know about that. Oh, excellent, excellent. Well, we want to keep moving in the right direction then. That is our topic. We touched on it briefly. I shared about three types of therapeutic writing, one being free writing or journal writing, uh, the second one, uh, pen writing, I'm sorry, poet poetry writing, otherwise known as um natural medicine, Um, and the third one was, uh, I'm trying to remember now, we started with the free writing, journal writing, oh, um, to compose, how that very act in and of itself is therapeutic. Mm -hmm. So um, 
there was an article which I shared by Margaret Sullivan, which was about um, the power of writing mm-hmm. and therapeutic writing to be specific in the three types of therapeutic writing. So carry on. I mean, the more the merrier. Uh, knowledge is power, so we want to increase the power tonight. We want people to be fully empowered. Hey, friend. Yes, Ken. As I saw, I'm sorry to cut in, but I'm uh, I'm gonna go ahead and step away from right now, and I'm about to jump into tune into the kids' uh, other show that she has going on right now, and I'm about yeah. to get that same piece. So I'm gonna let her know that you know I've tuned into your show, and you know yeah, I got some of you need information and all that good stuff, and just you know give a shout out and all that. So wonderful. Please far. give her our regards too, and if we can still away, we'll definitely do that. Okay, we'll do. Thank and you. It's always a pleasure to hear from Queen Sapara, as always, and just keep bringing the knowledge as you always do on your section of the show. So I'll just step away. You guys Thanks, have Ken. a great night, and I will you see too. you guys on next week. All right. All right. Wonderful. Thank you for the encouragement, Ken. And you keep All writing right. out. Mm-hmm. All right. So I want to uh, comment on the therapeutic writing. And yes. this idea just popped in my head is that the words that you write down, you're making them confess to you. Mm. So I'll put it, you know, simply, written words, you know, confess to people. Written words confess mm-hmm. to ourselves, about ourselves. All right. Now write down your viewpoint, too. <laughs> <laughs> and you know what? I have this mental picture. I'm glad you said shared what you shared. I have this mental picture of a person going to confession, you know, where the priest is in the booth. <laughs> <laughs> but, like, writing it down is like going to confession where you tell your sins. <laughs> you tell those, those deep-seated wrongs and and things that you hide, you know, you just come out of the closet and 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 expose yourself. Wow. <laughs> That's deep. All right, so you said written words confess to ourselves about ourselves. Yes, indeed. Like going to that confessional and and telling that priest your sins. <laughs> yeah. All right, so I'm going to get into, you know, the um Publishing information. Okay, thank you. Great. You're welcome. So tonight I have three articles, and they're from writersdigest.com. The first one is What Happens When You Lose Your Literary Agent? Wow. The, yeah. By Chuck Sambuccino, April 22nd, 2015. The Quest for an Agent is the thing many writers fret most about, aside from the whole write an entire novel thing. It's all designed to make you crazy, right? The query letter, the waiting, the research, the pitch parties, the meetups at conferences. So when you finally land that elusive agent, you hang on to her for dear life, right? Mm. Column by Christine Carlson Estelin whose published works include 15 nonfiction books with both Abstone Press and Abdo Publishing 
for the school library market. In addition, her debut young adult novel, Any Way You Slice It, came out April 21st from Bloomsbury Spark. She critiques queries and query packages as the query godmother. She tweets at Christine, so K-R-I-S-T-I-N-E, a ceiling, that's one word, as well as her alter ego at Query Godmother, also one word, where she tweets query tips and suggestions. Oh, this is very creative in her advertisements. Mm-hmm. All right, so continuing on the article. So we rarely hear about someone losing their agent. It's not just something one talks about in polite conversations, or at least not in public, one blogs about finding an agent. I mean, you spent so much on your, of your blood, sweat, and tears trying to find one, and now you lost her? What's wrong with you? At least that's what I thought when my first agent told me she was leaving the industry. Holy crap, I'm going to have to do this again. What is wrong with me? There's nothing wrong with you, and there is nothing wrong with me. Sometimes, like any relationship, it just doesn't work out. I'm here to say you can lose an agent and still survive with your writing career intact. Mm. Okay. You can even Good news. Lose <laughs> Thank you. Yes. You can even lose more than one. It doesn't mean you're a bad person or a bad writer. In my mm-hmm. case, my first two agents left their firm, one for greener pastures and the other to another agency. In both cases, I chose to leave the agency rather than stay with another agent who didn't seem like the best fit for me. I've known writers who have made the choice to separate from their agents for a variety of reasons. Others have been dropped by the agent. Still others have become, quote, homeless, end quote, as agents leave the field or an agency closes. As long as you remain professional, this is a business decision after all, you will survive. I promise. The query process for your second or third agent is exactly the same as the first time around. Your professional, personalized query sent to the agent according to submission guidelines. You got it right the first time around, you'll do it again. Submit a few at a time and assess after each round. This time, it's perfectly fine to say that you amicably, amicably, separated from your previous agent as long as that's true and that you're looking for someone to rep your next project. Do mm-hmm. be prepared for someone to ask you from whom you're separating. I can't stress enough that this is business. You know, whining about a business decision, enjoy some chocolate or wine, and move on as quickly as you feel comfortable. Maybe you're all done with professional representation and you're going to self-publish. That's a perfectly fine decision, but make sure you're going that route for the right reasons. Self-publishing should not be a last resort, but a business decision that makes sense for you. Mm-hmm. I agree with that. Don't be ashamed that you've had to make a change of representation. Once you start talking about it, you start to realize that there are a lot of people who've been in a similar situation. Stay confident and persevere. I signed with my third agent, Kathleen Rushall of the Marcel Lyon Literary Agency in August of 2013. She's a rock star as far as I'm concerned. Her personality is a good fit for me. She likes my writing, and she's a great sounding board for plot ideas. 
I know now, I now know, excuse me, that in order to find Kathleen, I had to go through the experience of losing my first two agents. Call it fate, call it serendipity. <clears throat> but mm-hmm. to be in the right place at the right time to find Kathleen, it had to happen the way it happened. I wouldn't, I wouldn't change a thing. The end of this article. Wow. Being at the right place at the right time. I strongly believe that is essential. (laughs) Um, If you want success as a writer, you've got to be at the right places at the right time. And you can't give up. You've got to endure. You've got to have perseverance. And you have to persevere. And from what I heard in that article, um, the woman, as she stated, she had her share of agents. And also it's about what is the best fit for you. Yeah. So sometimes experience is what teaches us that. So we have to have more than one agent so we have something to compare. And when you do a comparative analysis, you go through the process of elimination, and then you know, well, this really worked for me, so this is what I have to go after mm-hmm. yeah. as for an agent. Mm-hmm. And this is Queen's support, and I you know, do agree with it, with your statement. When I am submitting, and as I said before, not only do I look at what the agent reps, but how the agency helps the author succeed. Mm-hmm. So very, so very important. And and um, a lot of times people tend to forget about there was the speech and there was the famous saying by President John F. Kennedy, um, ask not what your country can do for you, but ask what you can do for your country. Mm-hmm. And when you take that mantra and apply it, in every aspect of life, even as for writers. When we apply that in our aspect of pursuing becoming a published writer, I think that's revolutionary. It opens our minds to greater possibilities, and also it teaches the significance of selflessness. Even in pursuit of an agent, which is best for you. Sometimes it's not about what you feel, but it's about what is best for you. Yeah. So it could be that very agent that is so opposite as for their persona or personality, they're, they can be the total opposite in comparison to who you are as a writer but they may be the best agent for you. But you've got to put your feelings to the side to realize that. And when you know the worth of your work, is it, your book is just that very, um, it, it's so significant that no one should not read it, then you'll want to put your feelings to the side and say, you know what, I've got to think about what's, what's in the long run what is in my best interest and because I'm not writing for selfish 
reasons, what is in the best interest of the readers that this book gets published? So I can put aside my feelings and go for what I know is going to work best. And if that means an agent that I have to grow to like has to be my agent or an agent that I may not see eye to eye with has to be my agent, then so be it. I mean, even sometimes people marry not their twin, not out of ten times, but the total opposite. And they complement each other. So you've got to be willing to take initiative and say, sometimes my feelings are my worst enemy. I've got to get my emotions intact. I've got to discipline my soul and discipline myself so that my feelings don't get in the way of my better judgment. Because we could very well turn away the best agent for us just because maybe we didn't like their, we didn't like something about them, whether it was their approach, their style, um, and and we've got to realize it's not about us in that regard. It's about the book getting published because it's going to help somebody, such as the topic tonight. It, it's going to be a therapeutic writing. So someone's going to benefit from the book being published other than me as the writer, mm-hmm. feeling good because I wrote this book and now it's published. Mm-hmm. Yes, the, the Queen Francis, Queen Victoria, therapeutic spread. Yes, indeed. Therapeutic spread, I like that. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. No, that just pops off. How about that? It's it it's it's something to consider. I tell you that that was a good article. That was a very good article. A lot of um, strong points were made in it, um, and they were boldly highlighted. And you uh, gave special emphasis to those significant uh, things that in that article as well. Yeah, I had, you know, picked it out because there was something that um, and it just came to my mind also, but I had already, you know, read it about the agency site, but if you are an unpublished author or a published author, and I was wondering, you know, why would a published author go to, you know, the, a literary agent? And that's when I had, you know, to learn is that, you know, something did happen to, you know, their old publisher, their old agent, and so they needed to shop for a new one. Mm, that's it. Mm-hmm. And it's like, I would say, like, when you're driving on the road and there's three lanes, you might be in that first lane to the right. Then you notice that first lane to the right, the traffic flow is too slow, and you know how much time you're working with. So you change lanes. Mm -hmm. You move to that second lane. Okay, you're in that middle lane now. You're in the second lane. The second lane traffic flow is a lot faster. It's, It's at 
a more rapid speed than that first lane. But then you notice up ahead you can see there's a jam. So you notice brake lights before you, and now that second lane is at a standstill. Then you look over to your left, and over to your left you see that third lane. And that third lane you see the, the traffic flow is smooth. There's no disruption. So you change lanes again. Are you upset that you went from the first lane, which was over to the far right, all the way to the third lane, which was the far left? No. Why? Because you know where you're going, for one, and you know now you're going to get there in in the amount of time that you need to reach that destination. So the same such as life, changing agents, the same. You got to go with what best accommodates your need. If you need to be somewhere by 3 o'clock, and you know if you staying in lane one driving at that flow, you ain't going to get there. And then lane two, you're going to get there late. You're going to go for lane three. Mm-hmm. And the same with selection of an agent. If you know with this particular agent, I will get my book published and this agent will help me to launch a successful book tour, book signing tour. You will go with that agent. Yeah. Because not only are you going to reach your destination, you're going to reach your destination in a timely manner. It's guaranteed success. And that's how we have to look at things. It's nothing personal. It's business. This is the side of being a writer that a lot of writers shun, the business side. If they could just do what they love, they do it all day and night. They do it in their sleep. They do it with their eyes closed. They do it standing on their head. (laughs) But knowing that, okay, now that you wrote these fantastic manuscripts, now you got to get them copywritten. Now you got to get them published. Now you got to get them marketed. Why? Because people are supposed to be reading them, not just you uh, producing them. They're, 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 it's a therapeutic writing that's going to benefit the life of someone else. So you can't be selfish. Mm-hmm. So it, it requires discipline, and it's a challenge to the artist that they must live and extend themselves outside of themselves and realize now you've got to become business savvy mm-hmm. because there's a world out there and there's a, a target group that you had in mind when you wrote the book, but there's also a world out there that would love to be exposed to your life and your book. <laughs> so that's where where we have to get to. We've got to get to not just being a creative mind artist, but along with that, being a business-savvy entrepreneur when it comes to book sales promoting. Yes, and uh, Queen Fran is a queen of the poor. Most mm-hmm. writers have a boring life. Most <laughs> 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 writers just write in their own world. So, But maybe then the audience, you know, will find it fascinating from their own viewpoint. 
Mm-hmm. And for a lot of writers, some writers tend to be loners and or hermits. And what what happens is once you get your book published, once your book becomes uh, available online in online bookstores as well as in brick bookstores, you are then no longer allowed to be a hermit or a loner because now people are interested in knowing the author of that book. So you have to change you have to change your whole it's like your very face in a sense changes. Now you have to become the other you. It's like the alter ego has to emerge. <laughs> no, I got to throw in, I have to do this, throw in a Batman reference. I <laughs> right? How That's right. Yes. I, I wonder how Bruce Wayne feels every time he has to have the two double lives. He's got to be, you know, the millionaire playboy Bruce Wayne. Mm-hmm. But when trouble comes at nighttime, he's the dark knight. That's right. That's right. Excellent. I love that analogy. That's right. It's like Bruce Wayne in the Dark Knight. That's it. So he's Bruce Wayne in the day, and at nighttime he's Batman. That's right. He has night and day, and they just come out when they're supposed to, just like the mm-hmm. you know, night and day, um, morning and evening. That's right. And that's what happens with us as writers. We do. We lead double lives. Yes, we are. I'll go as far as, far as to say we're vampires by night. <laughs> and we're regular people by day. We'll make that day walk. <laughs> right. That's what they call a vampire. We're walking the day Right. That's right. right. Two different worlds. Mm-hmm. Well, you can't go tell him about that. Oh, well, I'm a vampire writer, <laughs> right? Oh, <what's> <laughs> so scary. Are yeah, you, you got to be careful with that. <laughs> Are you feeling? Oh, yes, you have so to throw humor. Yep, you have to throw in the humor. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and then another thing that reminds me of what the late L.A. Banks has said is how, what she said, with your writing time, you have to be gangster to protect. Mm. That's not funny. It was something that order she had said, but in a way, it makes sense because when you're right, that's when here comes the distractions. And even that's though you explain to the distractions, um, in work mode here, do not disturb. They are in very inconsiderate. <clears throat> that's right, and we have to be aware of that. We we must, and and we're going to acquire. Nemesis, and it's not a bad thing to have a nemesis. A matter of fact, it, it's a good thing because you realize that there's there's a balance in 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 creation and in the universe. It's like there's light, there's dark, there's day, there's night. So expect your your nemesis to emerge when you emerge. 
<laughs> oh goodness. <laughs> and 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 see it as a compliment and a, a testament that you're you're achieving something great. Yes, because I know that somebody had once asked this question: If a thing is good, why is it kept secret? The answer: Because it's or else it's destroyed during development. Mm. Hmm. How about that? You can repeat that. Could you repeat that for our listening audience? Sure. Someone had asked: If a thing is good, why is it kept secret? The answer is because it's destroyed during development. Mm. Wow. Correction, or else it is destroyed during development. Mm, mm, mm. That that's wow. That that's ooh, that's thought provoking. That that's deep. Yeah, but that's our job as writers. Writers are uh, paper and pen therapists. Paper and pen therapists. Mm-hmm. And it's our job to pull out those, let me put it, cowardly thoughts that we're trying to hide. Mm, okay. Oh, you're sounding like a mad scientist. <laughs> <laughs> I like the way you put that, pull out those cowardly thoughts mm-hmm. that try to hide. <laughs> mm-hmm. And we get into the brains and uh, I'm a... The brain is the shield. I'm gonna, I'll be safe right here. They won't be able to find me. Mhm. That's it. But that pen, but that paper, and that ink is the vac or the vacuum. Mm. Right. And I had for our focus word phrase, um, poetic justice. Mm-hmm. And I want to share, there was this one article um, that I read in reference to poetic justice. And it it did like a comparison between um, what is irony first and then irony versus poetic justice. And I'm just going to read some of the segment, which is irony versus poetic justice. Um, And this was a, a blog, actually entitled Precise Edits Blog, and the title was Irony and Poetic Justice, and it was uh, published on September 11th, year 2012. And I'm just going to share what it, it states as for irony versus poetic justice. And it reads, now let's look again at our original cases. None of the three cases demonstrate a difference between ideas and reality. They don't show a difference between expectations and events or, in parentheses, situational reality. They don't reveal a difference in what a person believes and what is true, in parentheses, dramatic irony. And they don't show a difference between what a message says and what it, and what it means, in parentheses, verbal irony. What are they then? They are poetic justice. Poetic justice is a reward for virtue and a reward for vice. When good things happen to good people, that's poetic justice. When bad things happen to people doing bad things, that too is poetic justice. And I'm going to cut it short right there. 
I appreciate that art that blog article. Poetic justice is a reward for virtue and a reward for vice. I think that is epic. It is definitely the truth. It's an absolute. All right, could you repeat that, please, Fran? Poetic justice is a reward for virtue. Poetic justice is a reward for virtue Mm -hmm. and a reward for vice. All right, thank Mm -hmm. you. When good things happen to good people, that's poetic justice. When bad things happen to people doing bad things, that too is poetic justice. Sorry, I was frightened as you talked. Mm-hmm. And then I, you might have to shorten it, you know, and vice versa. Sure. I think of like um, that saying, when you dig a hole or dig a ditch or dig a grave for someone, dig two. Yeah, when you dig a ditch for yourself, you might as well. When you dig a ditch for someone else. Right. You might as well dig one for yourself. As in, in, you know, in in other words, um, that's that when bad thing when someone does something bad, bad things are going to happen to them. So in other words, that's what it's saying. You know, be prepared for something of that same nature happening to you. You dig in a ditch for them, dig too. Yeah, side by All right, well, mm-hmm. I'm going to continue on with the um the next article. Yes, thank you. Right. You're welcome. It's also from writersdigest.com, and it's titled <clears throat> Advice from New York y- NYC, which stands for New York Times, best-selling author Jamie, spelled J-A-M-I-E, Ford. Debut novelist should only entertain one book contract. <clears throat> Jamie Ford is the New York Times best-selling author of Songs of Willow Frost and Hotel on the Corner of Bitter and Sweet, which was an indie-bound next list selection, <clears throat> a Borders Original Voices selection, a Barnes Noble Book Club selection, Penny's Pick at Costco, a Target Bookmark Club pick, and a national bestseller. I met Jamie and his lovely wife at the 2015 annual Popewood Queen Book Club convention in Nacogdoches, Texas, where costumes, tiaras, and pink feathered bowers are de rigueur. You can connect with him on his website, jamieford.com, his Facebook page, facebook.com forward slash jamiefordauthor, or on Twitter at jamieford. But in the meantime, enjoy Jamie's responses to these burning questions. This guest post is by Kristen Harnish. Harnish is the award-winning author of The Venter's Daughter, the first novel in a series about the changing world of vineyard life at the turn of the 20th century. Her next novel, The California Wife, will be released in 2016. 
Harnish has been a speaker at the Writers' Digest Conference and currently lives in Connecticut with her husband and three children. Connect with Kristen, but K-R-I-S-T-E-N, at KristenHarnish.com, on Twitter at Kristen Harnish, and on Facebook. <clears throat> Number one, your debut novel, and this is for Jamie Ford, Hotel on a Corner of Bitter and Sweet, was published in 2009, and there are now more than one million copies in print. In addition to a soulful story and stellar writing, what other factors do you believe have contributed to the novel's sales success? Dumb luck, fortitious alignment of the stars, the fact that James Mac Patterson only published nine books that year instead of his normal 257 thus leaving a little room on the bookstore shelf for the rest of us? I'm not exactly sure. Publishing is less science and more alchemy. <clears throat> but my guess is that Hotel was a story of long-lost love, which everyone can relate to. We never forget our first love. That's why people lose 20 pounds before their class reunion. Number two. Your great-grandfather was a miner and labor boss in Nevada in the late 1800s, and your father was a hard-working restaurateur. Sure. How does their legacy influence your writing and your work ethic? Answer. It means that whenever I hear a blue-collar man by Sykes, I think, yeah, that's the Sykes, excuse me. I think, yeah, that's me to the bone. Also, it's fun to remember that my Chinese-American family has been in the U.S. longer than Donald Trump's family, Marika. Mm-hmm. Number three, you published Songs of Willow Frost in 2013, four years after Hotel. How do you think publishing has changed during that time, and what advice would you give a debut novelist today? Answer, when Hotel was published, 5% of my sales were e-books. With Willow Frost, that number jumped up, leveled off around 40%. That's a seismic shift and why debut novelists should only entertain one book contract. Seriously, the world changes too quickly and you don't want to be locked into a business model that's outmoded. Pay attention to the fine print. It might be written in emojis. Or you once said that reading your favorite authors while you're writing is like trying to lose weight while reading both. What do you read slash watch slash listen to stay inspired when you're writing? Answer, I usually read something that's pure escapist enjoyment, like the Game of Thrones book. I'm just a fanboy at heart. It's less about inspiration and more about, look, dragon. And number Mm -hmm. five, your writing is featured in the first Asian-American superhero graphic novel, Secret Identity, and you're a big fan of classic superhero comics. If you could possess any superpower, what would you choose and why? Answer, well, my wife gave me a green lantern ring for our engagement, so that would seem like an obvious choice, but I'm going with Daredevil. He has this radar sense because he's blind, and if I were blind, I wouldn't be able to read bad reviews. The end. Hmm. Okay. Interesting. What kind of caught me off guard was when he mentioned about his wife giving him a Green Lantern ring for his engagement. Was that it? Yeah. Wow. (laughs) Mm -hmm. (laughs) 
interesting. <laughs> yeah, and that's I, a I symbol like... for sure. <laughs> <laughs> Light up. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> and then green, you know, green lantern. You think the uh, green means to go with the stoplight. I mean, yeah, with the um, the, the yeah the uh, street lights. So. Yeah, the street that's lights, true. The traffic lights. There's an interpretation behind that. <laughs> I tell you, it's interesting. Um, even with writers and advice given and insightful, um, you know, information provided, we still have unique individual experiences on this journey called getting published. Mm-hmm. Um, and it varies from person to person. I mean, we could all go one in the same as for the traditional route or um, one in the same as for the self-publishing route. However, because we have a unique perspective mm-hmm. as individuals, our journeys are going to have some elements in them that are not alike. So it's really interesting, even when the articles are read, um, each article has a different take. Each author or writer um, of the blog or article has a different take on that experience, which they experience. And it's only because we are unique Mm -hmm. as individuals. But um, I like to collect. I'm I like to, um, in terms of reading articles by experts or authorities, I tend to uh, collect or or to be a collector. Like I would do, um, you know, gathering uh, seashells on the beach, the same type of uh, go-get-it, hungry, um, hungry mind, approach that's the way i um that's the way i approach the situation because i know every article is you know we all know something and and we we know it well we all know something well that the next person doesn't know the way we know it mm-hmm. you know and a, a lot of times it's because it's based on how we intimate or become intimate with a thing um, you know, maybe you spend 12 hours of reading um, during the week on that particular subject matter, and I only spend two, then my knowledge base is not going to be as your knowledge base is. Right. Now, my experience base, maybe I'm out there in the field applying the knowledge and then practice a little more hours than you are because you're, <laughs> you're reading more so and gathering the um, evidence from other people's experience. So my hands-on will be a little more tactful or skillful. I'll have a little more mastery than you. But everyone knows something well that the next person doesn't know just the same. And that's why it's so important that artists collab and come together like we do on this show. It's an open forum where we can ask each other questions questions and and then we can acquire the answers that we would not have been privileged 
to find or to obtain if we just took it in a more individualized, personal way and said, well, I'm just going to keep on digging and searching till I get it. But when you collab with others, just like in school, it's called cooperative learning when they pair you off and and you have a, a learning partner or a study uh, buddy, <laughs> then you're going to, you know, the, the information increases, the knowledge increases even more than it would if you were just all alone by yourself um, in pursuit of that information. So it's important, I think, that, you know, as artists, that we know to do this, that we collab with each other because we can learn so much more when we come together and are willing to share and help each other and and work together. Cooperative learning still matters. All right. Um, I just have to, I'm going to write what you said, Queen Fran, and I'm going to read. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So cooperative learning still matters. Yes. Because everyone has different viewpoints. Yes, indeed. And our experience is very based on time, discipline, effort, application of knowledge, and practice. All right. The final oracle. And it's titled, The Upside and the Downside of the So-Called, Quote, Best Writing Tip Ever, End Quote by Brian A. Clem, October 13, 2015. Dispensing writing tips is risky business. I do it for a living, and I've developed a sort of virtual crash helmet to handle income and slack. While some things about writing are universally true, in the same way that gravity is there, even if you don't believe in gravity, others are more negotiable, especially when it comes to tips about the process of writing. This guest post is by Larry Brooks. Brooks is the author of the new releases of the new release from Writer's Digest book, Story Fix, Transform Your Novel from Broken to Brilliant. He is the author of two previous WD Writer's Digest titles, Story Engineering and Story Physics, as well as six critically praised novels. Visit his website at www.storyfix.com named by Writer's Digest to our 101 best website for writers for the last six years. The thing about process is that at the end of the day, from a purely qualitative perspective, it doesn't really matter. Readers don't care how the writer found and executed the story, whether they did it efficiently as if straight out of a how-to manual or if they wrote it over a dozen years standing on their head in a dark closet with a legal pad and a Pink Floyd CD at full volume. The things that make a story great don't care what you call them or how you finally discover and execute them. They are simply there like gravity waiting to either give you wings or cause you to crash and burn. The debate then, if indeed there really is one, is about how to get there effectively and efficiently which in the harsh light truth becomes a matter of personal choice because what works for one writer 
may not work for another. Mm. In in other words, what works for Stephen King and Diana Gabaldon and George R.R. Martin and Jonathan Franzen or the loud guy on the online forum may not work for you. And therein resides the downside risk. Because if you adopt a particular process, if you believe what you hear simply on the basis of who said it, then you just might be sentencing yourself to years of unnecessary frustration and failure. Or it may indeed work for you too, just like it works for the esteemed author who just possibly said or implied that theirs is the only process that works. Mm, There is... mm -hmm. There is one writing mantra, perhaps the most common sticky note of the walls of writers everywhere, that I truly believe to be the most risky and potentially toxic writing tip of all. And yes, it does in fact come from the lips of more than one more than one famous writer who can mm-hmm. get away with it. Before I reveal what it is, allow me to first focus on the end of that last paragraph. Who can get away with it? Because especially if you're a, if you a new writer, it is highly likely that you can't get away with it, because you don't know you don't yet know what you don't know, and certainly you don't know what that wisdom dispensing author knows. Quick story before drawing back the curtain on that: I was teaching a workshop at a conference for historical novelists. I asked the group what their favorite writing tip of all time was and began fielding responses that were all over the map, including some really big, strong morsels of goodness. One woman was squirming with her hand up, so I called on her, and then out it came. Just right, she said loud and proud. I paused. I think she was waiting for me to proclaim her tip the winner. Instead, I said, actually, this might be, for some of you at least, the worst possible writing advice you could ever hear. Stunned silence ensued. To explain why two propositions propositions are required. First, you must accept that a novel is a complex thing and that the skill sets and tool chests of the enlightened writer stem from a long and varied list. If one disagrees, if you think writing a good novel is as organically simple as beginning, middle, end, and that it takes no more knowledge than what you have picked up as a reader of novels, then sure, go for it. Just write, wing it, see how that works for you. The other proposition is that writing a novel is just as complex as many other avocations, and that it isn't something everyone can do successfully without first learning a few things and then practicing until they become internalized. Mm-hmm. For example, Imagine if you suggested to a young doctor prior to finishing medical school that she just cut or tell a new lawyer to just talk or recommend to your daughter as she preps for your learning permit that she just drives. Play golf, forget the lessons, just swing. See how long it takes you to make the tour because becoming a professional in this analogy is precisely the goal of the writers who are reading this. Dire consequences await for each example because each endeavor is important. We're not talking about a hobby here. This is your dream. A neurosurgeon who reads my blog recently wrote to confirm that after immersion into the deep well of storytelling craft, 
He absolutely agrees that writing a good novel is every bit as complicated and nuanced as performance surgery, where just cut has never been part of the curriculum. Then again, if you are possessed, if you are possessed of the full spectrum of writing wisdom, the stuff that those famous authors already understand, when suggesting mm. you just wing it then the just-right idea might fit right in with your process. Storytelling always depends on a good dose of intuitive story sensibility, which in a professional is always informed by craft rather than diffusing and infusing the story with impulsive decisions that are the equivalent of a child's fingerprint. The key differentiation here, the one that, can indeed empower the just right intonation and cut years off your learning curve is to realize what the end game of writing is for you. Are you seeking to publish in any form? Are you in quest of a readership? Are you secretly yearning to make storytelling your day job and see you, your face in a bookstore window? Don't kid yourself. All those noble goals equate to you becoming a professional. And professionals don't just write until they can and should. The end. Okay. Well, 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 well. That was good medicine. Mm. Yes, indeed. I feel like I, I went to the doctor and... I had a thorough examination, and they gave me what I needed to know so that I can continue to feel better and do better. Mm-hmm. That's what that article was like, hearing hearing from uh, that source. And can you share with everyone where they can uh, go online and find that article if it's available online? Sure. It's writersdigest.com and it's uh, http colon two um, slashes triple w dot writersdigest.com forward slash online dash editor forward slash the upside down the upside dash upside dash and dash the dash downside dash of dash the so the dash so dash called Best writing tip ever. Mm, best writing tip ever. I tell you, com never fails. Every time you share with us on the panel of the Accessible Scribble Show, articles and uh, resource information from that site, it has always proven to be beneficial. So I definitely commend you on doing that. Thanks. And also, one of the things that I had liked in this article on the last page where it says, then again, and the word sensibility. And I like that word is because the most important thing about a story is that it connects. And what you're writing about, you know, the ideas, you know, must connect with one another and making cause and effect. Yes, indeed. I agree with you. Um, cohesion. Yes, it's so very essential. When you are writing, um, it's important that the the ideas, the um, sentences, and 
the information that they all correlate. Because if they are not all, um, if it's not cohesive, then it's not going to be a good representation of what it is that you're trying to express. So that's solidarity is king for writers. We've got to keep that in mind. When we're making bold statements, they have to um, connect in writing. Yes. And Queen Friends, Queens of Plur, and I also like to say, like with the characters, that all characters, you know, must be connected in the plot. Mm. Excellent. Excellent. Yes, indeed. All characters. Ladies and gentlemen, please write this down. Queen Zipporah, please restate that. Sure. All characters must be connected to the plot. Mm. That's right. If you want success in story writing, ladies and gentlemen, don't forget that. Again, one more time, Queen Zipporah. <laughs> all right. <laughs> All characters must be connected to the plot. Yes, indeed. You're getting gold nuggets tonight, so write this information down to every listener and our listening audience. I want to acknowledge in our chat room, I just noticed, um, well, I didn't just notice him, but uh, published author Keith, and he goes by Keith827 when he enters our chat room. He is listening in, and he wanted us to know that he is, of course, uh, giving us support. He's been with us for about the full hour, this full publishing tips hour, and he's been a regular, and uh, Queen Zipporah, he truly approves your facilitation and what you offer during this hour, so keep up the good work. Um, And also I want to acknowledge in our caller queue, it looks like our sister poetess, Monica has joined us. Welcome to the Exceptional Scribble Show, Poetess Monica. Welcome, welcome, Poetess Monica. Welcome. Thank you. Yes, we are always honored when you can join us. We know that you are working most nights. And would you happen to have a poem? And if not a poem, this is still our publishing tips hour. If you have a question that you'd like to direct towards Queen Zipporah Thelman, who is the co-host of the Accessible Scribble Show and the lead facilitator during the publishing tips hour, feel free to ask at this time. The mic is now in your hand. Well, thank you. Um, no, I don't have any questions at this time. I um, just mm-hmm. was able to call in and I just wanted to check to see what y'all have. Um, I actually have to catch the rest of the show, um, the previous part of the show that I missed on the archives, but I'm oh, sure okay. that um, I'll find those nuggets very valuable. Mm-hmm. Well, I guarantee you when you hear the archives, there was so much good information as well that Queen Zipporah has been uh, sharing during this uh, publishing tips hour you will definitely want to review that segment along with the exclusive interview with published author uh, Reginald Murray. He discussed his book entitled A Successful Formula. I have shared uh, the link on the events page 
His book is available online. You can go to Amazon.com or iUniverse.com to purchase his book. It is definitely a very helpful resource and tool to help anyone who's trying to just um, achieve the greater good in their life and anyone who wants to achieve success to their highest level of potential. His book will definitely aid you in that regard. Mm -hmm. So his information, you can go on the Exceptional Scribbles Show, comma, episode number 80, uh, events page, or you can Mm -hmm. go into the chat room, or you can go on the Exceptional Scribbles Show fan page and find the information about the book there. Okay, but thank you. I'll be listening to that. You're very welcome. And there was a quote that uh, published author Reginald Murray shared. It's entitled, Don't Be a Square Box, Become a Full Circle. In other words, become a well-rounded individual. I found that quote to be so very revolutionary. Right. Mm-hmm. All right, well, um, Queen Fran and Monica, I'm going to sign off now. It's 11.01. Okay, well, thank you again, Queen Zipporah Thelman. Um, and, of course, please share the uh, links for the articles that you did uh, share with everyone tonight. And any other useful information that you shared tonight, uh, feel free to share it on the Exceptional Scribble Show fan page so that others might uh, refer to it and reference it. Thank you so much. All right, and thank you, and good night, everyone, listening to Radio Land to Exceptional Scribble, Episode 80, for Tuesday, September, I mean, October the 20th, 2015. This is Queen Zipporah Thelman signing off. Until next time. All right, have a very pleasant evening, Queen Zipporah, and thanks again. All right, you too, Queen Fran and Monica. Thank you. Good night. Good, Good night. Good night. And Queen Monica, um, we discussed about therapeutic writing. That was mm-hmm. the topic for tonight's show. And the focus word phrase was poetic justice. And if you would like to share any insights or if you have any input that you would like to provide, at this time, you're welcome. Oh, yes, ma'am. Uh, I sure hate that I missed that first part, but I find that my writing is therapeutic, too. And in those darkest times in your life, you know, I guess as writers, we all turn to writing to try to, you know, vent a little bit and sort mm-hmm. our way through situations and I found that, you know, in my darkest times, that's where my best writing comes forth. And a lot of my writing is based on situations or thoughts that are associated with things that I may have been going through or thinking of. And I do find it therapeutic, too. And I notice a lot of people in our poet community also feel the same way. Mm, Okay. And I must agree. I must agree. Um, I have heard, I've become acquainted with your poetry. And I can attest 
to the fact that your poetic writings and your short stories and um, what you say in writing, it has proven to be therapeutic. And I think that that is so very, very, um, very, it's so very important because writing has a tendency to impact people's minds as for how they think. When people read a book, it can change their opinion about life, about people, about a specific group of people. So, you know, we have to be very cautious about what we read. Mm-hmm. And as for your writing, I've never read any or or heard any of your pieces and what I heard or what I read imp- did impact me in a way that wasn't positive. So your writing yeah. is definitely therapeutic and, and so in a good way. Thank you. I always try to end on a positive note, um, so much so that um, my, what I guess I would call my life work, the Ballad of a Frozen Heart, it actually wound up being a um, spoken word piece that um, was a total of six poems strung together, and it took 30 minutes to record the whole thing in pieces. And uh, But I wanted to make sure that I ended on a positive note. That hmm. As you said, that... Um, you know, you don't want to leave people with a bitter taste in their mouth or looking on things negatively, and you want to always instill hope. That's right. That's key. Power to the pens that keep hope alive. I think it's so important that we do that, that we keep hope alive, because as we can see, there's so much injustice in the world today. And it's up to us. If justice is going to remain, it's up to us. And I'm I'm talking about literary artists now and spoken word artists. It's up to us. We've got to promote what we don't see. As the saying goes, be the change you want to see. We've got to promote it with our pens. Our writing is going to lead the way. And I think some of us know this. Power to our pens. Because with our pens, we'll be able to reinstate justice where we don't see justice. And that's the way we've got to advance forward with our literary art. And I say this to every literary artist under the sound of my voice. Your pen is power. Your pen has the ability to change minds, and in turn, it will change lives. Don't take your pen for granted, and don't take 
the liberalism in today's society to express what you believe and what you think via your pen, don't take it for granted. Your pen, as the old saying, the very renowned saying goes, the pen is mightier than the sword. That is a fact. Take this into consideration. Literature and books revolutionize minds and change the world. That means what someone wrote has power to change the course of the way things are, the very course of nature, the very universe itself. Each day when we are impacting change by writing, that's exactly what writing is, we're impacting change upon this earth and within this world. When we do it, I don't think we realize how powerful that is. Writing is a sacred right. Anything that was written was done. It became law. Before law is established and we see it, it is written first. That's how powerful the pen is. It's mightier than the sword. With treaties, wars cease. Written treaties can bring about an end to wars. So don't take the gift, those of you who have been gifted with that craft to write, to be a literary artist, don't take it for granted. It's more powerful than what you see. And if you execute it correctly, you will learn and come to experience and know the value of that gift. It's much more than you realize today. Literacy and literature, writing, literary art itself, it changes the world. So be that world changer. Use your gift as a literary artist, as a scribe, as a recorder, as a writer. Use your gift to impact change in a positive way, in a positive manner, and see the world become and evolve into a better world for you and me. Not only is it possible, it's happening already. Be a part of that move. Don't just see it and feel it. Be it. Do it. Be a part of it. If you have that gift and possess the craft of being a scribe and a literary artist, you were predestined for this. Don't shun the gift. Cultivate it. Nourish it. Nurture it. Allow for someone to mentor you. Be a mentee of a master artist who is a master scribe. 
and allow them to pour into you all of the virtues, those key essentials that you require and that are required for you to master the craft and become a master scribe or master poet or master writer. Because it is within reach. It's not impossible. A lot of times we tend to run from the very thing we should be doing. Why? Because we weren't confident at first when we first got started. And someone told us we were not good at it, and we believed them. Well, I'm here to say tonight, stop believing the lies. Not only are you good at it, you were born for it. You were born to write. So scribe your success. Write it out. Make it plain. Speak it. And then do it. It's in you. It was birthed in you for a purpose. Fulfill your mission. Scribes, literary artists, poets, novelists, journalists, urban fiction writers, sci-fi writers, you name it. Whatever the genre of writing is that you write, poets, it's time to do it and let your pen advocate justice in society. Let your pen speak. Let your ink speak. Let it be heard. Write and write some more. Don't stop writing. Think about it. The Constitution, someone wrote that. It was written. And now that's considered the hot, it's like the holy grail in the United States. All laws, everything is subject to that Constitution. As long as the Constitution is, the Constitution reigns. Somebody wrote it. It was written. So the same with much of what we refer to as law, dogma, scripture. It was written. So believe that, yes, the pen is powerful. It's mightier than the sword. But it's up to you and me to execute it in a positive light, such that justice avails, and we can. We have the potential and spirit and energy to do so. And with that being said, there was, at the beginning of the show, I was playing Nikki Giovanni, who is a well-known writer, poet, African-American, literary artist, and so much more. Uh, There was a piece by her, spoken word piece entitled Think, and I'm going to play that as we uh, prepare to dismiss for tonight's show. 
And I do want to say in closing, come back, join us, 8 p.m. Eastern Standard Time on the panel of the Exceptional Scribbles Show. It will be episode 81 on next week, October the 27th, and the feature artist will be Kevin Granite, musical artist and rapper. The topic will be defining rap, and the focus word will be rapper. Join us. Because I had to deal with my life. I could go back to school, join Delta Sigma Theta, marry a Mahari man, and go quietly insane. <laughs> or I could go on to live. And I think I wanted to be famous because my mother deserves to have the world notice her existence. And my family has worked too hard to be ignored. I don't think I would have cared much if it hadn't been for them, but they deserve more. Other people put a lot of time and energy into me, and they, de- and they deserve something, too. And love means nothing unless we are willing to be responsible for those who love us, as well as those whom we love. People don't just love you out of the blue. You let them. And people have loved me when I needed to be loved. So as an adult, I must give some of that love back to those who want it, or it would have all have been for nothing. I think I'm no different from any other colored girl who has to grow up and make, de- and make decisions and live by them. I think we are all capable of tremendous beauty once we decide we are beautiful, or of giving a lot of love once we understand love is possible, and of making the world over in that image if we choose to. I really like to think a black, beautiful, loving world is possible. I really do, I think.